Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborns of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Akiki, thank you very much. Um, if you can read, uh, would you keep your Bible open in front of you? So, um, page six and chapter four of Genesis. Children, I've got two things to help you listen um, over the next little while. There are sheets like this with a word search and some questions and some space to do some drawing. Um, if you want one of those, can you put your hand in the air and Jacob's going to deliver it to you. Um, and uh, also, just parents, there's also a box of other stuff, other sheets, um, coloring uh, things, sticker books, stuff like that in the foyer if you want it for your children. Children, the other thing I've got is Haribo. And... Um, there are four swaps in the sermon. If you can come up to me after the service and tell me what the four swaps are, I'll give you one of these, all right? Um, actually, all of us need help to listen, and we're going to ask for God's help now. Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, Help us to come to your word with hearts that are willing to be changed, with ears that want to listen. We know that we are tempted to wander, to stray from you. We need your voice calling us back. We need your spirit working in our hearts. And we ask, almighty God, that none of us would leave here unchanged this morning. Please help us, we pray. Amen. Do you like it when you experience something new? 
So you have something happen or you do something for the first time. So maybe you lost your first tooth. Maybe the first time you got to drive. Maybe the first time you moved into that new home. And those times can be really exciting. Genesis chapter 4, we come to the first family and the first human birth. So verse 1 of chapter 4, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and she gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I've brought forth a man. It must have been really exciting. It's actually even more exciting at this point, because can you remember when we were looking at Genesis 3 last time, that God had made a perfect world, a world of just variety and wonder and beauty, a a world where man and God were resting and enjoying each other. And then we saw that sin entered the world, and it all went wrong. The world was ruined, and yet God had promised a promised one, one of Eve's offspring, one of Eve's relatives that would come and crush Satan's head and undo all that is wrong, would sort this world out. And so we come to the first birth in chapter 4, verse 1, and we go, is this the one? Is this the offspring? Or or maybe it's this one. Verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Maybe it's this one. But you know, it's not long. Not long, is it, until all the excitement is gone. In fact, only six verses before the first person dies. And the death, it's not a natural death, it's violent. It's not an accident, it is deliberate. It's not a stranger, it is brother killing brother. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field, and while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This morning, we're going to see what happened to this first family ever. And we're going to see that actually Genesis 4 warns us of the danger of sin, the devastation it causes. And although this is the first murder, it's not the last. This kind of thing happens when sin is let run free. Now, you might be here this morning and you say, well, I mean, I'm never going to do this. I've never murdered anyone. It's not even crossed my mind to do that. What we're going to see this morning is that the same traits that Cain had that led him to murder his brother, those seeds, those traits are actually in all of us. And we need to hear God's remedy, God's warning to us. And what we're going to see is what sin does. Here's the first thing. Our sin swaps relationship for religion. Have you ever wondered, like, what is the deal with Cain's offering? Like, why is there something wrong with it? So, verse, well, halfway through verse 2, Abel kept the flocks. And Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. I mean, 
Cain works the soil. Abel is out with the flocks. Cain brings stuff from his work. Abel brings stuff from his work. I mean, isn't it the same? But did you notice? Cain brings some. Abel brings the fat, the firstborn. Just Abel's out there. He's looking after his flocks. And the first lambs are born. And they're fat ones. And the first thing he does is is he picks up these lambs and he takes them and he offers them as a sacrifice to God. He gives the first, the fat portions. He doesn't think, oh, I'm just going to keep some of them, maybe stick them in the freezer. When there's a few more lambs appear, then maybe I'll bring one to God. No, these are the firstborn. The best bits, the fat portions, it's costly. And why does he do that? Well, the sacrifices express his relationship with God. It's because he's thankful. He so loves God for all that he has been given. He gives his best. He's devoted to God. And he so trusts God. He's not worried, are there going to be any more lambs? Am I going to have enough to eat? No, he's dependent. The sacrifices express his relationship, his real relationship with God. Now, it's not perfect. We're told in Hebrews 11, chapter 4, by faith, Abel brought a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he's dead. The reason Abel's sacrifice is accepted is better is because it's offered by faith. It's because he trusts God. He says to God, my life is in your hands. Cain, well, it's not the same. His sacrifice is not an expression of a devoted, dependent relationship. It's an expression of religion. So he's out harvesting his crops, and here are the first fruits of the crops. And he thinks, well, what will I do with these? Well, well, I think I'll, I'll hang on to them. And some of the best ears of corn, what does he do with them? Well, I think I'll store them away. And then when it comes time to sacrifice, well, uh, here's some of my produce. That'll do. And he offers that to God. It looks spiritual, but what is he he doing? He's just going through the motions. He's giving the bare minimum. He's trying to keep God happy. And instead of a relationship with God where he is just in wonder at the God who has given and given and given all that he enjoys... No, like Adam and Eve, he doesn't believe God is good. He doesn't trust that God is going to look after him, that God is worthy. And so he does religion. He he says, God, I'll do this for you, and then you can owe me. How about us? How is our relationship with the God who made us? Our attitude to God, is it one of religion or relationship, of duty or of devotion, of independence or trusting dependence. Do you know how you can spot a person of real faith? It's that they love God and they live and give in a way that says, my life is in your hands. And so, 
They don't wait to give. They give the first fruits. They, they don't wait until they're an adult or until they're working or until they, they've reached a certain pay grade. No, they love to help people in need, to give to the work of Jesus. They, they don't think, oh, do I have time alongside everything else to give Jesus time? No, they give Jesus time first, first in the day, first in the week, first in our lives, learning more about Jesus, inviting people round to our home, speaking out for Jesus. It's the first thing they plan, not, not the last when they've got all their other interests or their children's interests sorted. And do you know the strange thing about people with faith? Some of the decisions they make, oh, they're costly. And yet they seem to have this real joy. Not so much the religious. They live and give in a way that says, actually, my life is in my hands. They, they can't afford to give that much time to Jesus or that level of care to his people or, or that gift to the charity. And they, yet they may go through the motions may come out to church, even be on the odd road, or say the odd prayer. But in their heart, they're a long way from God. And what is not strange is that when things don't go their way, they are angry. Look at Cain. Verse 4, halfway through, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he didn't look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Religion says, I've done my bit for God, now it's his turn to do what I want. And when that doesn't happen, well, we're angry. I wish I asked this question more often, but it's a really good question I found, that when I am angry, to ask, well, what is the thing here that I want that I'm not getting and I think I deserve? But you know, despite this, God, he's not finished with Cain. He comes to encourage him, to warn him, to say, come to your senses, choose right over wrong. So verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? Here's the second thing we're going to see. Our sin swaps right for wrong. Um, anyone been to the zoo in the last, I don't know, year or two? Stick a hand in the air if you've been to the zoo. Okay, um, maybe, maybe children can answer this. Adults, you can if you want. What's the scariest animal you saw? Penguin. The penguin. Excellent, right? Uh, any other ones? A lion, really? Crocodile. God says that sin is like an animal crouching, a predator, a dangerous animal, the scariest one, crouching, ready to get you. Imagine if that lion was just behind you just about to pounce on you. It hadn't eaten for weeks. God says sin is like that. Look at verse 7. 
If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God says to Cain, sin is hungry, it's crouching, it's waiting to eat you alive. And you need to do what is right. Like all God's commands, this is a loving warning, a loving command, like it was in the Garden of Eden. He warns Cain, who he has made, who he loves. And he says to Cain, trust me in this. I know what is best. If you do this, it will not go well for you. And what does Cain do? Well, it's not good. What's he supposed to do? God's not saying, oh, I want more crops. You you need to work a bit harder in the fields. He's saying, don't be angry with your brother. Don't be angry with me. It's about his heart. It is about the fact that he treats God the wrong way. He treats God as if he knows best, as if he is God, as if he knows right. And what does he do, Cain? He swaps right for wrong. He decides the creature knows better than the creator. And you see, he envies his brother, doesn't he? He thinks God's assessment of his brother is wrong. That he is just as righteous as his brother. That he deserves God's favor just as much as Abel does. He thinks God's wrong, and so he decides the right thing to do is to murder Abel. And we hear this and we think, well, you know, I'd never do that. I would never do that. Do you know, Jesus says to his disciples these words. He says, you've heard anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Jesus says that actually anger is the same kind of sin. It has the same traits. It is of the same seed as murder. Can we really say we've never been wrongly or overly angry? When we've wanted our own way so much? Maybe we've wished we were just rid of someone, that they would just move away or, or be moved to another job, but we wouldn't see them again. Or maybe in our minds we've even dreamed how they might have some kind of situation that would make them see what they deserve. Wishing wrong on an image bearer. Beware, sin is crouching. Or or can we say we've never been envious? Never ask the question, how is it fair, God, that they have been healed, that, that they have that job, that figure, that popularity, that ability, that gift of evangelism? Have we never thought, oh, if I was in charge, I'd do a better job? Beware, sin is crouching. And if we don't hear the warning, if we don't fight the temptation, it will rip us apart. Rip us apart from God and apart from one another. 
You see, Cain's story is our story, the same traits, the same seeds of sin. And it's seen any time we fall out, brother to brother, child to mother, friend to friend, colleague to colleague, race against race, nation against nation. And if we don't resist it, well, here's the third thing that sin swaps. Our sin swaps love for hate. Uh, so, verse 8, it is premeditated. It is deliberate. It is horrific. Look at, look at it again. Now, Cain said to his brother, Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel and killed him. How did we get to this? This is what happens when sin has a free reign. Because despite God's words to Cain, he lets sin master him. And instead of love, he hates God and his ways and his wishes. Instead of love for his brother, he hates his brother. In fact, probably anyone who stands in his way. And when we fail to love God or to love human family, we are following in the footsteps of Cain. And what's so sad is that God again gives him an opportunity to, to own up. Look, look what happens. So verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Look at Cain's response. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? He pretends he's done nothing wrong. Even down in verse 13, when he receives the punishment, he only feels sorry for himself, not about what he's done. Um, a while ago, um, as Miriam was going out, um, kids were, were a bit younger, she said, Ed, don't leave the house until I'm back. The children are in the house. And so a little while later, I left the house before Miriam came back, leaving the children in the house. I think I was coming out to a prayer meeting here or something, and when I got here, oh, I've just heard what it was. What was it? It was Connor's fault. Yeah, Connor is a bit of this story. I'm happy to tell you about that later. But um, my phone went off in my pocket, and it was Miriam on the phone saying, do you know what you've done? You've left the kids alone in the house. The temptation at that point is just to deny that it was my fault. To go, well, like, I just didn't hear you. Or was, there was just too much going on. I couldn't be expected to deal with that particular small little thing. Do you know that temptation when we're accused? When we know we've done wrong? And yet, we don't want to accept responsibility. Well, that's Cain. Yeah. What Cain should have done, what we should do, is hear God's call to repent to bring it out in the open, to confess it, even to tell one another about it, that we might help each other. Pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. Not tolerate sin. But you know the worst part of Cain's failure 
the worst part of this first murder is he's the only one of Eve's offspring left. What about that promise from God? Who will fulfill it? Cain, he's just increased the evil. And Abel is dead. And that's what sin does. That's what it did when the Son of God came. And the world did not receive him, did not want him. We did not want him. And so we killed the offspring, the promised one. What does God do? Well, firstly, what we see here is justice. Justice. Children, do you know when you get asked that question in school, where is your homework? Sometimes that can mean from the teacher, uh, where is your homework? I don't know where it is. Other times, the teacher knows exactly where your homework is, or they actually know there isn't any homework, you haven't done it, and they go, where is your homework? That's the kind of question that God is asking here when he says, where is your brother? He knows the answer. God knows. He says, he even hears, verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What Cain has done is so awful. It's as if God can hear the blood that had seeped out of Abel's body into the ground, crying out to him, saying, look at what Cain has done. There must be justice. And God, he does judge Cain. And again, this is good news. We need a God who cares about right and wrong, who cares about injustice. For Cain, well, it sounds like Genesis 3 again, doesn't it? Repeated, reinforced, verse 11. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth, driven away from God, work increasingly harder. Yes, Cain is still breathing, but he doesn't have life. He doesn't have the rest he was made for. He is restless. The opposite of what it was supposed to be. And you know, even when he settles down to verse 16, do you see that? And he lived in the land of Nod. Do you see what the footnote says? Nod means wandering. Even as he settles, there is no rest for him. Because that's where sin ends up. Where life without God ends up. No rest in this life or in the next, justice, and yet, mercy. You see, even though Cain mistreated God, even though Cain wouldn't listen to God, even though he murdered his brother, even though he does not repent, what does God do when Cain fears he's going to be killed at the end of verse 14? This is what God says, 15. But the Lord said to him, not so, if anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. 
God protects him. It says, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. We don't know what the mark is, but God protects him. And even though mankind had failed so deeply, God was not... Excellent. God was not finished yet. At the end of the chapter, we're told, verse 25, have a look at this. Adam lay with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Here's another child, another offspring of Eve in place of Abel. Is this the one, the promised one? Well, actually, in the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, what we learn is Seth isn't the promised one but he is the ancestor of the promised one. That even here in the depths of Genesis 4, God is providing a way for people to return to life with him again. And when Seth's ancestor, Jesus, came, he never swapped relationship with God for religion. He was always devoted, always loved, the Father trusted Him. He never swapped right for wrong. He always spoke the truth. He did what is right, even when it cost Him His life. He never swaps love for hate. Even as He died, He prayed for His enemies. Instead, what Jesus did was He swapped Himself for us. He swapped His life for hours. And as he died, again there was blood. As the nails were driven into his hands and to his feet. And again, that blood cries out. A better cry. A better cry than justice. This is Hebrews 12, verse 24. You have come to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because you see, if Abel's blood cries, justice, sin must be paid for, Jesus' blood cries, mercy. Justice has been done. Sin has been paid for. And so, now, today, for you and me, if we're trusting in Jesus, there is mercy. Mercy for you and me for every time we fail to love God right. Every time we fail to do right. Every time we envy or we don't love others. When you feel like you just want to do the bare minimum, or you feel that sin is crouching, the anger is rising, or the envy is coming, or you feel like choosing wrong instead of right, or hating instead of loving, what do we need to do? Well, not try harder. Not go back to the fields and produce more crops. Not do better. We need to turn again to Jesus and see He does love me. 
He is good. His ways are the best. And as we do that, what it does is it increases our love for Him. It makes us want to choose what is right. It makes us trust so that we devote and we depend. It makes us say to God, you know, you know what is best. And I want to put my life in your hands. Let's take a moment to pause. I'm going to lead us in prayer. Our Father God, we look at this story, this reality, this moment in history, and we think, how can this be? And yet, Father, when we're honest, we see the seeds of these kind of attitudes in our own hearts. Would you help us to really see sin for what it is? See the horror of it, the devastation of it. Would you help us to understand that what we deserve is your judgment, your just punishment. And yet we praise you, we wonder that there is a sacrifice, there is one who came whose blood cries mercy. And we pray that you would help us to look more and more to Jesus. And as we do that, that that would stir in us more and more a desire to fight that sin that crouches and to lean on the one who saves us. We pray in his name. Amen. We're going to sing.